Hello and welcome to the International Therapist podcast with me, Leanne Scheel. Today is the second episode of our virtual congress series, where we are speaking to a broad range of expert seminar hosts on the lead up to the event, which is taking place on Sunday the 13th and Monday the 14th of June. We are thrilled to be trialling our congress online this year. It means that for the first time ever, therapists from all over the country can access interesting and insightful seminars from speakers across the globe. I'm your host, Leanne Scheel, Deputy Editor of International Therapist magazine, and today I'll be having a conversation with the truly inspiring Peter Macareth, who is speaking to me from his home in Manchester. Peter is an honourable lecturer and researcher at the Christie Hospital in Manchester where he was formerly complementary therapy lead. He has spoken at numerous international events and has authored countless papers and books. As a registered nurse, Peter currently helps to support the vaccination programme in Manchester, where they provide an average of 3,000 vaccines a day. Despite not having worked closely with Peter, I get the impression that he is someone that goes above and beyond to share his wisdom far and wide, with the only real driver being to help as many people as possible. Peter is speaking at the FHT Virtual Congress with Anne Carter and Anne Ferguson on microbes and massage, a topic also covered in the Winter 2021 issue of International Therapist magazine. Peter's mantra is, be curious, research and empower people to do things that look after their own health and well-being. So welcome to the podcast, Peter. Thank you for coming on today. I wanted to start by asking if you could give me and our listeners a little bit of an insight into your day-to-day before the pandemic and what a typical day looks like for you now. Before the pandemic started, I was doing a couple of the things, really. I was working as a therapist at a hospice not far from where I live and working in the inpatient area. So that's actually working, providing massage, reflexology, relaxation to patients and their families on a voluntary basis. And on top of that, I also helped at clinics. And so I provided complementary therapy treatments in a dementia uh, memory uh, cafe and also at a motor neurone disease clinic. So um, so those those clinics were very helpful to me in some ways because I come from a very clinical background and I've worked in neurology and it was really nice to work with those patients as well as the um, as the inpatient so seeing patients who are effectively being supported to stay as well as possible in the community Um, and uh, uh, I have a particular interest in dementia in that I've had family and friends affected by dementia and while I was a clinical lead at Christie's I helped set up a dementia cafe there providing complementary therapies so it's always been quite uh, an area of focus When the pandemic hit, it really changed things because we suddenly had to stop a lot of things in hospice. And so one of the things was volunteers to reduce the footfall. And coincidentally, at the same time, of course, the the government was asking for people who were nurses to come back on the register, who come back onto the register. And I'd only left about two years before. So I clicked the button, <laughs> literally within an email back, I was back on the register. And then within a week or two, I was being asked to go and um, 
uh, work at Christie's again because they knew me and um, they said they share your details with local um, NHS providers. And so I went back as a COVID screener. <laughs> so it was lovely seeing everybody, um, but I was what I was doing was screening patients, carers and staff to come into hospital and, um, and sometimes helping patients to be transferred to the wards. And it, there had to be a nurse on in the area that I was working. So technically I was sort of like the nurse at my screening area. And um, yeah, and I, often took opportunities if a patient was particularly anxious to do a quick technique if they were heading off for a scan or some blood's being taken so my skills weren't <laughs> left to, to, to gather dust yeah. and uh, and so that was that was really up until um, uh, Christmas and then of course with the vaccination program happening I got another email saying could I swap lanes and come and work as a vaccinator nurse. So I did the training and I don't know whether you know people who have, but it takes quite a bit of training. <laughs> you have to do a lot of e-learning. So um, me and e-learning have been on a fast a learning curve. And so for the last three months, I've been doing vaccination work and, um, and loving it actually. And again, I don't let my skills sit on the shelf. I've been working a lot with uh, people who are needle phobic and needle anxious. So uh, the clinical lead has um, allowed me to to do interventions and also to teach other members of staff how to, to use simple techniques to help people who are needle anxious. Hence the recent blog as well to do with stay calm and be vaccinated. <laughs> what I loved probably most about your blog was how it spoke about complementary therapies and how they can be eased into um, the NHS quite easily just to make people feel calmer and less anxious about anything that you'd visit hospital for really. Do you think there's more scope to ease complementary therapies into the NHS? Well I mean obviously things have um, changed considerably in the last year and um, the team that I built at Christie's um, we were really making inroads and we are still I mean I'm, I'm still involved in the team I do a lot more teaching and research these days um, but we, we moved the therapy service if you like from simply doing a foot massage or relaxation techniques in a ward to being involved in lots of different areas of the hospital. So for example, we started getting involved in radiotherapy departments, helping patients with claustrophobia when they're having scans or face molds made for head and neck radiotherapy. And we expanded into the acute chemotherapy units where um, therapists in my team and myself, we would go and help patients with needle phobia and um, needle anxiety so we were sort of like spreading um, and uh, uh, various things happened over the years which included doing pre-op clinics so people who are coming for surgery originally we weren't involved at all but you know um, the clinical nurse specialist heard about what we were doing with patients and they said could we have input and see people who are anxious pre-operatively um, so we got involved in there. Uh, we uh, set up a dementia cafe. Um, I started a, an acupuncture service within Christie's in the mid 
about 2007, 2008, we started taking on acupuncture and we ended up running clinics for uh, menopausal symptoms. So for people who've been through cancer treatment, um, they may present with numerous symptoms, but hot flushes, fatigue, those sort of things. Um, and so we were using acupuncture to help with that. Um, one of the side effects of chemotherapy is peripheral neuropathy, where you have altered sensation, your hands and your feet as a result of the chemo. And it's very difficult to treat, uh, can be very painful and uncomfortable. And so we, because I was aware of it being used, uh, acupuncture being used, we started an acupuncture service there. And that service currently has just been through a major research project. So, um, you know, that's one of the studies. And the another area that we've developed um, is working alongside people who do smoking cessation work. And in fact, I am a smoking cessation advisor now myself because I got involved in using hypnotherapy, massage, reflexology, acupuncture to help people to go smoke free alongside them using nicotine replacement. So I'm very much a complementary therapist, not an alternative. So I'll say, take everything, you know, <laughs> have, have the patches. But also, if you'd like to learn some um, techniques for managing cravings, then that my team will help you. So I think complementary therapies can move in lots of different ways. You know, obviously, it's an issue of funding mm -hmm. um, uh, in hospices. There's obviously some charitable funding there. You also have people who are very willing to be volunteers. As I say, I've been a volunteer off and on throughout my career. Um, I started, when I first qualified as a therapist, one of the first areas that I worked in was working with people with HIV and AIDS. There wasn't money back in the 80s. And um, if you were a therapist, people were reaching out for anything. Um, and you know, these people with HIV were often at the end of life and no treatment. So we were doing things like reflexology and massage just to provide comfort. So I think there are lots of ways you can you can work, but funding, I personally, I believe is a big issue. I have always been keen that therapists be paid for what they do. They're trained, they've, they're educated, they're putting a lot of commitment to it. And also if you're going to have sustainability, you've got to have a team that functions with a leader or leaders and specialists and people who um, feel like it's their job. Um, um, they're not just a nice extra. So it's always been my mantra to um, be curious, research it, um, share, teach and, and empower people. Um, and in terms of empowering people to um, do things to look after their own health and well-being be it stopping smoking, being it learning a simple reflexology technique to manage anxiety. Um, you know, that's that's sort of my creed, if you like. And um, uh, so, yeah, I think there's potential, but we've always had the challenge of people who see it as an, uh, 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 not, uh, just an added extra mm -hmm. and see it as something that can be done cheaply and freely and can, um, or you have people who are totally anti-complementary therapies. Um, uh, fortunately, in the area that I work at, um, I've been oh, so welcomed. I mean, when I started 
20 years ago at Christie's, mm -hmm. the consultants were really keen to find out what we, what, what we had to offer because mm -hmm. they could see the need for things around anxiety and insomnia and, you know, all the side effects. And I've not had anything but support. I mean, they've collaborated with me with research studies. I mean, I did my PhD um, at, the at the beginning of working at Christie's. I had already started on it and my colleague Jackie Stringer did hers as well. And so they could see we were um, led by research and formed by research. So, yes. Yeah. It actually leads us nicely onto research. So. I imagine your PhD was one of your favourite pieces of research. Um, but do you have any standout moments in your career or any pieces of research that you'd like to tell us about? I mean, I actually came into complementary therapies through the feet, <laughs> literally. <laughs> I, I had reflexology. I was um, originally an intensive care nurse and I've always maintained an interest in critical care and, and well, I'm, when I'm at Christie's, I spent time providing therapies in that environment, but um, I got very interested in, in managing my own stress and had some treatments uh, of reflexology and then later had massage treatment as well. And I just loved it. It's like my body was wanting it so desperately. And of course, I'm a bit like, oh, you know, if my body wants it, then does my mind want it? Do I want to learn about this? So I ended up training in reflexology back in the 80s in London um, and then doing um, a massage course as well and aromatherapy course in with that and you know I from quite an early on I was very interested in in investigating it why is this making any di making difference and so I had an opportunity to do some research in the 90s as a nurse tutor uh, with some staff. One of them had, had done some training on reflexology with me and a course that I was teaching. And um, so together we we did a, a, a pilot study looking at reflexology with people with neurological problems uh, with things like MS, Parkinson's, MND, things like that. Mm -hmm. And we had such good feedback that it's it sort of like this needs more work. And the consultant on the ward said, you know, we, we, we run an MS clinic and we'd like complementary therapy input. And so for about a year or two, I did it as a volunteer. And then um, uh, one, of, one of the patients um, is really bizarre, but he had a number of treatments from me. He was very poorly and, uh, and his, you know, his expectant, life expectancy was, was um, short. And um, I then heard from the solicitor of the trust who said, Peter, you've been, we've sent, been sent a letter. You've been um, given 5,000 pounds by a patient to do research on reflexology. And wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Um, uh, and he, he, him and his family were so grateful because I, I mean, I saw him for quite a few months. Mm -hmm. Well, actually went on into well over a year. And through at the end of his life as well, I did some treatments on the ward with him as well. And I didn't know any of this. I didn't know that he'd done this, but it, it literally, at the time, the trust said, yes, we'll support you. And it funded my pilot study in looking at reflexology for people with MS and measuring a, a, a hormone that's known as cortisol, the stress hormone, mm -hmm. um, 
which is quite an expensive test to do. Um, so, you know, they're at the time, they're about five pounds a shot, which, uh, you know, when you're doing quite a lot of them, it adds up. Um, so it paid for the pilot study. So I am very, very honored that I had that opportunity. And then, and I had some interesting results that showed it did, it did reduce cortisol and it enabled me to then get a grant to do um, a full study with 50 patients. And that I got managed to get funding from the MS Society and um, uh, they funded that study and I was able to do my PhD. And as I was starting that process, I got the job as a, a full-time, well, as a clinical lead for, for complementary therapies. And it was attached to some hours teaching at Salford University on a degree for complementary therapies. So I've always been a, I've been a lecturer for many years in nursing. And so it's quite, I'm quite comfortable in the classroom. And uh, so I did a job of developing a complementary therapy service and um, teaching uh, undergraduates about complementary therapy. So, so yeah, yeah, I, I, where I'm lost now as to where I go. So research, uh, yeah, so I did my PhD. There's some very interesting findings. I got the papers published. Um, the other aspect of my study, although it was very much a medical randomized controlled trial, mm -hmm. I had an element of my study where I audio taped every therapy session. So I was able to look at that. So I had um, oh, hundreds, literally hundreds <laughs> of um, audio tapes with recordings of therapists interacting with patients through reflexology. And um, they often disclose the concerns and worries. Often at this first, if you're female, it's the first and second treatment. Yeah. If it's men, it's typically the fifth and sixth. So men are slow burners when it comes to unburdening themselves. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, in the context of this study, it's a relatively small study to, to make that statement, but it was an indication that there were different things going on for different people. But reflexology, that the, the, the process of reflexology of working points and asking people how they are, people opened out as to symptoms and psychological state. And in the process, they would calm, they would, it's like, you know, it was like using reflexology as a route to unburden, to share, and to be more at ease with whatever. Um, and sometimes to ask questions, you know, about or what could help aside from reflexology or how is reflexology likely to help? So constipation or altered mm -hmm. sensation in the feet or whatever. So um, for me, the therapeutic sort of space, um, there's a lot going on and, and it remains an interest of, of me about what goes on in the therapeutic space. And we've done various studies at Christie's on fatigue for people post-cancer treatment. And again, I've used interviews to gather information more broadly about the experience of receiving complementary therapies. And more recently, we've done a big study on peripheral neur neuropathy using acupuncture. And uh, we've recently finished a study using um, relaxation techniques, acupressure points, uh, breathing techniques, uh, mindfulness techniques with breathlessness. And it's looking good. I can't give you the result of that study <laughs> because it's not public yet, but I love doing it. Um, it was a massive study. It not only involved patients at Christie's, but also around um, seven other, you know, seven sites around the country. So I was on the train 
this was post a lot of this was post technically retirement so I've not really retired because I've been continuing to research and be in practice so we're in the write-up stage of a few of the studies I don't currently have a study running but that's partly Covid I think as well it's hard to set up a study in the middle of Covid but I would like to perhaps do a couple of more studies in the next few years um, yeah are there so, any um, topics in particular that you'd like to I would like to do a bit more about peripheral neuropathy particularly using reflexology and teaching people self reflexology or a family member so that is of interest to me um, and I would like to do more work on a technique that we call hearts um, and Carter and myself have been writing articles about it it's about the combination of touch with the use of the voice um, and aromas and textures and we do use it a lot within end-of-life situations or teaching carers how to do the technique with their family member but it's a very gentle technique working over a towel and combining it with imagery and perhaps using um, an aroma stick at the same time and make basing the um, guided imagery on a remembered time which made you smile so for example saying is there an aroma or something that reminds you of a, a wonderful time and somebody will immediately go into oh yes um lemon cheesecake sitting outside <laughs> in Italy with a glass of Prosecco you know or a, par a party um with a, a you know some some strawberries and cream you know so aromas can be a way in in order yeah. to start an imagery session so you might take their story write it down and then give it back to them while you're doing a touch therapy and actually say now just remember a time when you were in Italy the sun was shining you could smell the pine trees or whatever or that you know and then someone brought you a lemon cheesecake <laughs> <laughs> and say it in that really sort of uh, lovely sort of way um, yeah. you know, like as if you're doing a Nigella uh, <laughs> lesson so um yeah so I'm we've done a couple of pieces of work around researching hearts but mostly with therapists about their experience of using it and one of the things that came out was a bystander effect which is they noticed when they were delivering these interventions of touch and talk and aromas and textures that carers would go off into their own revelry just watching it and it was as if they were also being treated even though they weren't being touched and they often looked really calm at the end of it mm -hmm. um, so I'm very interested in how therapy work can spread out from the person you're touching to those who are witnessing it so I'd like Anne and I and Carter my colleague and I would like to do something with patients and carers about that um, about that experience of being um, participating in a therapy session where it's carer and patient um, yeah by the intervention so I've done a I've got my massage chair here but I one of the things I introduced at Christie's was the use of massage chairs for carers and um, uh, and we've done quite a few studies um, looking at the effect on carers so I am a bit obsessed with carers and um, uh, 
that's certainly something that I'd probably do another study on in the years to come, really. Um, I think at Christie's at the moment, my colleague Jackie Stringer is doing some work on mindfulness and staff because obviously it's very stressful working as a member of staff right now. I mean, it always has been stressful working in 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 in, in the NHS, but you know, there are extra stresses. Um, oh, one of the other things I'm interested in is long COVID. I'm interested in lots of things, but long COVID, and I think there's room for therapists to get involved in using interventions around fatigue, insomnia, and again, anosmia. So I've been coming across people with anosmia and suggesting that they use aroma sticks or even just cut a lemon just to stimulate saliva flow and olfactory stimulation so as a sort of like a rehab from long covid is that maybe three times a day they expose their olfactory bulb to um, some citrus because citrus stimulates flow it, it and it and it refreshes and it's quite a potent um, aroma um, and I've been hearing anecdotally that people are finding these things useful so I think we have a role as therapists to help post-COVID. Yeah. That sounds great. I wondered if you could talk to me a little bit about dementia. Um, you said it was a topic you're particularly interested in, so um, we would love to hear more. Yeah, um, it, it's, dementia is a very broad uh, diagnostic group, really. There's, a, there's lots of different forms. I mean, certainly the ones I was coming in contact with, um, particularly at Christie's, was one associated with alcohol use. And um, so sometimes you come across people who have a history of alcohol and smoking, and obviously that can affect um, cognitive function and circulation of the brain, etc. But also in neurology, I came across a lot of people with Parkinson's and in Parkinson's, you can sometimes get dementia that goes along with it. Um, and my concern is that sometimes people with dementia, when they, they have the double whammy and sometimes triple whammy of Parkinson's, dementia and cancer, is that you are it's so complex you you they may present late because they've not been able to tell the nurse or doctor that they've had a symptom so they often they often find the tumors late and for me a concern is then how do you facilitate them to get the most out of cancer treatment for example and so we did a project where we were helping people with dementia go through medical procedures and calming them so that they could comprehend in the short term because obviously the issue is they can't retain information sometimes but so um so um i'm very interested in interactive complementary therapy so for example using an aroma stick or doing um doing some sort of relaxation technique where they're engaged with you so for example we had a patient we did write this patient up and we gave him a, a yellow star and while he was having his medical procedures, he would squeeze the yellow star, take a comfortable breath in, and then let it go. And at the same time, because it was yellow, he said, oh, I like yellow, I like yellow submarine. And he remembered every lyric to that song, and he mm -hmm. would squeeze and sing <laughs> yellow submarine while he was having cannulas put in or yeah. things like radiotherapy. And he was such an it was such an interesting situation. We got him through his radiotherapy treatment, um, 
yes, he deteriorated a bit because people do deteriorate when they're, um, but he was able to sustain a sort of um, a conscious level, if you like, and an interaction and a consent level to get him through the bulk of his treatment. And he did carry on. He didn't, he didn't um, deteriorate his cancer regressed they managed to treat it and he got a few more years out and he was such a delightful person I mean you know you can have dementia and you can still be a loving you know person you may not be able to remember what you had for breakfast but you can still love and be I mean he would tell us stories about his daughter and he thought his daughter was six months old and just come out of a of a neonatal unit and he was just beaming with memories of his daughter and how she was recovering from being in the neonatal unit she was in her late 20s with the child herself so you know things were quite different but um and so it inspired me and others to think about setting up a dementia service and doing things like hand massage or reflexology which is much more interactive i would never for example put somebody with dementia on a massage couch lying down because they can't sustain an interaction if they drift off and then they come around they go what's happening you know yeah. what do you do okay that's interesting if you're doing reflexology you can say i'm working your toe tell me about this and, and you can have a, a yes they're, they're relaxing into it but um and, it, and literally a 15 20 minute i would never do longer than that with somebody with dementia it's about sustaining attention i to be honest hand massage is one of the easiest things to do because you can literally sit opposite them work their hands and they might even start massaging your hand is happened to me a few times <laughs> because they thought we were doing like some sort of fun thing and so yeah. they pick up and start massaging my, me and telling me about their child that they used to massage <laughs> you know so um so yeah uh, dementia and um it certainly is a it's a difficult area to go to because you've got to think about consent and uh and maintaining consent so i think if you're working in it a lot of us therapists who work who do work in dementia care it's very much about trying to stay in the present with them and, and, and using memory, using, so for example, aromatic memories is a wonderful place to be, you know, don't just do a guided imagery about going down to the beach. If that doesn't relate to them, if they don't understand it, if it's not their story, then they're not they're going to float off and they're not going to be sure where that what's happening but if you ask them to tell tell me something about what happened to you that you really enjoyed when you were 20 or something and then repeat the story back to them they're going to stay with you and they're going to simply just beam because their long-term memory is is probably more intact yeah i imagine that's so powerful for someone that's um in a confused yeah. place or is yeah. happier in their memories from the past yeah, um, exactly. At the moment. And they're a resource that that memory for that gentleman who sang Yellow Submarine, his daughter coming out of the neonatal unit and when they thought they might lose her and the fact that she had put on weight and was, you know, doing well, yeah. he was beaming with that memory <laughs> and he said, oh, you know, he, he remembered holding her and the smell of the top of her head, you know, all those classic things. Um, and being really proud to learn how to change a nappy and all of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. And it was as if it was yesterday. Yeah, um, wow. And that's catching because I think as therapists, when you can see people connecting with a joyful memory, um, 
you almost feel again you're like witnessing it it's like a bystander effect for you mm-hmm. I always know that at the end of a de- busy day when I've done quite a few treatments and helped people I always feel better more you know I feel like I've done something and <laughs> been useful and, but also I've had lovely interactions um you know it must I be can... so rewarding yeah mm-hmm. and I had the other day when I was at the vaccination centre, this lady came forward and she I could see the tears forming under her eye. And I said, oh, hello, I'm Peter. I'm just going to assess you for the vaccination. How are you, how are you doing? And she said, oh, you know, she said, I don't have needles. I'm really. She said, last time I had a, an injection, I fainted. I said, right, you've come to the right place. I am a clinical hypnotherapist. Look into my eyes. <laughs> and she was already hooked. And I sh- I told her the three, the well, two of the techniques. I told her two techniques. And and I when we'd, we'd finished, she was heading off to the pod to have her, her vaccination. And she was doing the technique as she was walking, doing this uh, mudras <laughs> technique. And, um, and then I'd gone for my break um, and I passed where the exit and she was coming out and she was singing <laughs> and smiling at the exit volunteer who does the thank you for coming. Could you write some comments on the display thing she said yes I'm cured of my needle phobia <laughs> and then I said hello and she said it's him he's the one she said I've done a technique and it got me through and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to coming back for my second dose and I just thought that made my day that yeah. was just to know that I that I'd helped her but she'd she'd been vulnerable enough to tell me what was going on she hadn't just simply gone no I'll just get through this she she said no I am I am I am frightened and uh, I want to have the vaccination for my family um, and to help things get better but I'm you know I've got this real fear Um, and so that sort of did inspire me in part to do the video for FHT uh, that that memory and I've had quite a few since which is great And, and my main job really is to is to teach other nurses and volunteers to learn the technique so they can if they've got you know, they can just do it informally you know yeah. this little technique will help you know yeah. um and, uh, yeah so uh, that that sort of inspired me so and the video is up on on the, the fht youtube and it's it's getting hits which is great <laughs> <laughs> i loved watching that video peter and i'm sure so many of our listeners did as well so thank you um, so it's clear to me what made you want to go into nursing, um, people and helping people. But have you always had an interest in complementary therapies um, and taking a holistic view on health? Um, uh, I, I came into nursing through personal experiences that I was a patient in my, I was 14, I had a head injury and was admitted. and. Um, and the nurse that looked after me at night, um, I just remember because they used they come to you every hour and take your blood pressure and shine a torch in your eye and all of that. And she was just so gentle with me, and so I loved her communication style. And I was a slightly silly fourteen-year-old who, you know, had a head injury through my no fault of my well through a fault of my own. I'd been playing silly games or whatever in school. And um, uh, and she was just so lovely and it inspired me. And I thought, oh, nursing. And it's not something obviously a man normally does or did in the 70s. And while I was doing my training, um, there were two nurses who are from Malaysia. And um, they said to me, 
um, have you ever done massage? Have you learned massage? Because I'm I quite I am quite handsy. They said, you know, I'm, I was quite good. You know, I was always used to try and calm people or put my hands yeah. on their shoulders and all that. So I was interested in touch as a therapy. And I was taught massage by those two uh oh, wow. fellow students yeah. and um so i knew how to do virtually a full body massage by the end of my first training <laughs> and um and then when i was working in london as an intensive care nurse i used to do some teaching at charing cross um to do with intravenous therapies very you know it's a bit complicated but the tutor said oh peter we're running an aromatherapy massage course here uh, for nurses and rather than pay you for your teaching because I was doing it extra um would you like a free course <laughs> <laughs> so I I did my training and I was still working in intensive care and I was chatting to one of the consultants and said I've done my training as a massage therapist reflex like I'd done reflexology as well by that time and he said oh could you do some work on patients with Guillain-Barre syndrome because they get lots of problems with sensation in their hands and feet so for about a year I was doing regular work doing um, massage with people with Guillain-Barre who were on ventilators who were conscious mm -hmm. and um, and so that that in part led me to sort of meld the two if you like um, mm -hmm. you know sort of uh, to get more involved in providing it in my clinical practice and yeah. I've you know I've done loads of courses since and ended up teaching complementary therapies and ended up managing a service and researching it and writing books and the joy for me is is the colleagues is you know working with other people who are like-minded and um you know being like linked to fht where i get to meet loads of therapists who are at different stages in their career come from different backgrounds and it creates this wonderful melting pot of approaches diversity in therapies you know from working in spas to working in elderly care to you know it's so vast and there's so many potentially pot pots of where we can be useful and and contribute to quality of life for people that you know it's it's wonderful really i never get bored of it i, I struggle when people say aren't you bored don't you get have you got bored of lockdown i said i've never been bored in fact we've seen <laughs> me and anna have been busy ever since we've been doing creative imagery courses online we've been doing conferences you know we're a couple of old geezers you know <laughs> like i'm not calling anna geezer but we're we're a couple of old gray gray ones but we've managed to work the technology out <laughs> And, uh, you know, um, you can't keep us down, really. I wondered if um, you could leave our listeners with a few words of wisdom as we move out of the pandemic. Yeah, I think it, as with any crisis, I think there's supposed to be a, a Chinese symbol for crisis, isn't it? Which is also about, you know, um, learning and opportunity and that crisis creates, does create opportunities. and. Um, you know, yes, we've got a lot of work to do around supporting people with long COVID, but also around bereavement as well, and the people's traumas from not being able to go to funerals. So there's, you know, there's an awful lot of work to be done. And I think um, as we come out of COVID, I think there's so many opportunities, but also time for reflection about what we've learned about ourselves and each other and, mm -hmm. and how we can make a difference, even in a small way. And I think, um, because we've had to a bit, be a bit hands off, we need to think about how our toolbox can be expanded uh, 
um, to include touch, yes, but also at times when we can't do touch or where we need to instruct someone else to do touch. Um, so yes, uh, expand your toolbox, take opportunities, remain curious, um, and just celebrate every day at a time, I think. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode, Peter. I've learnt so much during our chat and I'm left feeling excited as to what's to come from the therapy space in the future. As mentioned at the start of this conversation, Peter will be speaking about microbes and massage with Anne Carter and Anne Ferguson at the FHT Virtual Congress, which is taking place on the 13th and 14th of June. Tickets are just £30 for FHT members and £45 for non-members. For more information, go to fht.org.uk slash virtual congress. If you are interested in the video or blog mentioned earlier in this episode, please visit fht.org.uk slash blog dash peter dash m for more. For easy clicking, I'll also include these links in the bio of this episode. I am delighted to announce that our next guest is someone who I know is much loved in the therapy space. The renowned aromatherapist, Penny Price. My conversation with Penny will be live next Monday at fht.org.uk slash podcast. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you soon.